Uh, many classic stories begin or take place in orphanages. Uh, Great Expectations, Oliver Twist, Anne of Green Gables, A Little Princess, Stuart Little, the, the list goes on and on. And at some point in many of these stories or many stories like these, at some point a husband and wife enters an orphanage looking to adopt a son or daughter. And as this husband and wife come in, the orphan children all clamor to be seen and selected by them. They do tricks and recite poems. They sing songs and perform dances as if they are desperately auditioning for affection and adoption. When we approach God in prayer, it can be tempting to do similarly. Uh, When we are faced with a need or a want or a worry, it can be tempting to go before God with poetic words and lofty phrases eloquently strung together as as if we are auditioning for his attention and for his help. In our passage this morning, which is Matthew 6, verses 7 through 10, Jesus kindly relieves us from this burden. If you're just joining us at Oaks, we're halfway through the Sermon on the Mount, halfway through our series, The Good Godly Life. Last Sunday, Jesus warned us not to give and not to pray and not to fast in order to win people's applause. And today, he expounds upon the second warning, urging us not to pray in a way that seeks to win God's attention either. So this morning, we'll only be covering chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, but I'm going to read verses 7 through 16. I'd invite you to follow along as I do. Jesus here is teaching his disciples and the crowd of Jews on the mount that overlooks the Sea of Galilee. And when you pray, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And as our prayer before we begin our time together, I wonder, just keep your thumb right there in that section and let's, let's together pray the Lord's prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
the Lord's Prayer is commonly known and widely memorized, and for good reason. In it, Jesus gives us a wonderful model, a pattern, for how we can and should approach God in prayer. When we don't know, uh, when we don't want to pray, and this is often the case for me, when I don't want to pray, I can discipline myself and I can pray this prayer word for word. When we don't know what to pray, well, we can pray this prayer word for word or we can begin this prayer kind of on a word for word basis and allow it to ignite and to guide us into further prayer. When we already have a lot to pray about, we can and should follow the pattern of this prayer as it helps us to remember and to prioritize first things first, right? Notice with me how the first part of the Lord's prayer focuses on God. Your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now notice how the second part shifts to us and to our needs. Give us, forgive us, lead and deliver us. The Lord's Prayer falls neatly into two parts and this morning we'll examine the first part as well as the two verses that precede it wherein Jesus urges his disciples and us to number one, pray simply. If you're a note taker, here will be our outline this morning. Number one, pray simply. Number two, pray directly. And number three, pray humbly. So let's look at number one, pray simply. Just looking at the structure and the brevity of the Lord's Prayer should clue us into the fact that Jesus doesn't expect us to pray long, drawn out, complicated prayers. Now, there certainly is a time and a place for longer prayers. I mean, Jesus later on in his earthly ministry personally demonstrates this. But there is a reason why Jesus here is urging his disciples towards simplicity. And we get a, get a feel for it in verse seven. You see, the Gentiles, the pagans, were known for lengthy, drawn out, repetitious prayers. Prayers that were more like incantations than thoughtful, focused petitions. It's likely that Jesus' disciples and the crowd of Jews beyond them, it's likely that they were beginning to pray like the Gentiles, like orphans auditioning for the affection of a potential parent. They thought that they had a better shot at being heard and rewarded by God if they strung together poetic words and phrases. But the problem is this. Their prayers had become so lofty, they didn't even make sense. Now talk about the Tower of Babel all over again, right? The ancient Babylonians became consumed with their own loftiness and in the process, they lost the ability to communicate clearly. In verse seven, Jesus shines a light on this growing trend and then in verse eight, he tells his disciples, I'll paraphrase, don't. <laughs> don't. Don't pray lofty prayers as if you are auditioning for God's ear. 
Be freed from that burden and that pressure. Be freed, we learned this last week, be freed from trying to win the applause of men when you pray and be freed from trying to win the attention of God when you pray. Be freed. When you pray, you can pray simply. Simply. My wife, Lindsay, and I, uh, we struggled through the first year of our marriage. And one Sunday, we stayed after a church service to receive some prayer from, we were hoping, one of the pastors. One of the pastors started walking toward us, but he grabbed the hand of his little boy and he brought his little boy to us and he had his little boy pray for us. His little boy laid his hand, his little hand on my shoulder. He closed his eyes in the most, and in the most unprofoundly profound way, he prayed, God, please help this man. Amen. And at the time, for a moment, I was like, um, yeah, okay. Uh, now, if a pastor could pray for us, uh, <laughs> Why else are we waiting here, you know, for this? We, we need kind of like VIP treatment. And then later it hit me. Um, God loves sincere simplicity. He loves to answer unmajestic prayers in majestic ways. And he did. He did just as that little boy prayed. God heard that prayer. He helped me and Lindsay. He breathed healing into our marriage. How might we learn to pray like that? What if before our community group gatherings on Wednesdays, before our Sunday morning gatherings here, before our nights of prayer that all of our community groups have together here in the schoolhouse, what if beforehand we prepared our hearts by praying something like this, God, free me from treating prayer as if it were an audition. Help me to pray without idolizing what people think of me. And remind me that I don't have to conjure up fancy words. I don't have to incant certain phrases and repeat them until I'm all strung out as if I'm auditioning for your attention and affection. Remind me that you know what I most need before I even ask you. And therefore, I can simply pray, simply. And I can pray Point number two, directly. Pray directly. Jesus teaches in verse nine, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Now settle in with me for just a moment on those words. Orphans might feel the pressure to audition for the affection of a potential father. It's all potential. My adoption is up in the air and I can feel pressure to try and perform to get his attention and to earn his affection and approval. But we are not the orphans we once were. We are not cut off from the family of God in our rebellion and sin. That is what Jesus came to remedy 
This is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus came to pay the price for our forgiveness and our adoption. Listen to these wondrous words starting in verse five of Ephesians chapter one. In love, God predestined and adopted us through the work of Christ. Paul continues, through Jesus' blood, we have been redeemed and forgiven and lavished with the riches of grace and sealed by the Holy Spirit to the praise of God's glory. All past tense, that has been done. Continuing in the past tense, Romans 8.15, we have, you and I, received the Holy Spirit because we have been adopted by God. Done. Hear this, brothers and sisters. If any of you are floundering in your assurance of grace, hear this. If you have come to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus is the resurrected Son of God, done. You are no longer an orphan. You are adopted. Your prayers, no matter how fickle they might seem, your prayers do not echo down the chambers of an empty orphanage. Your prayers, every one of them, is heard by your heavenly Father who knows you and loves you, who knows and supplies your innermost needs. You don't have to wait to speak to him with a human mediator like a pastor, priest, or pope. Uh Uh-uh. You don't have to schedule an appointment with him or wait in a long line. You don't have to bring to him the perfect words or a completed list of chores and duties before he will listen. Nope, you can approach him simply and directly. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, whenever you want and whomever you're with because he is your father who, by the blood of his only begotten son, loves you to the cross and back. I'm starting to get pumped here, so. (laughs) Theologian J.I. Packer writes this. Let's be sobered up by this for a second. If you want to know how well you understand Christianity, he writes, consider how much you make of this thought. You are God's beloved son. You are God's beloved daughter and God is your beloved father and no thing and no one can ever or will ever separate you from his love. It is impossible. You wanna know how well you understand Christianity, how much do you make of that thought? Brothers and sisters, this should shape our entire outlook on everything. This should shape our everyday worship, every day to Sunday. This should shape our prayers. Concerning prayer, maybe the question's rattling around in the cage right now for you. Concerning prayer, this question is often raised, why should I pray if God already knows my need? Well, These first words out of Jesus' mouth as he teaches his disciples and us to pray, these first words are relational in nature. Look, my son Keller is not in here right now so I can gossip about him. Um, 
He comes to me and he comes to Lindsay for every need of every second of every single day. Look, he knows that I know it's breakfast time. He knows that I know it's first snack time and then second snack time. He knows that I know that it's lunch time and he knows that I desire to provide him with those things. So his coming to me to ask for those things is actually more of an emblem of our relationship. He's coming to his dad. He just wants to talk to me. I can't think of anything better to talk about in the moment of snack time. Dude, okay, so you need a snack. Guess what? We're talking. All right, great. I'll do it. You want a third one? Okay, mom's not around. Let's do it. <laughs> His coming to me is as relational as it is functional. Yes, functional. He, he needs something. He needs third snack for crying out loud. Goodness gracious. And yet it's relational. The emblem of it screams, dude, you're my dad. I'm your son. I can come to you, right? And also when we come to our heavenly father, our father, it is an emblem of faith. I mean, the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse six, he says this, whoever would draw near to God, if you're gonna go to God in prayer, A, that's evidence that you believe that he exists and B, that he rewards those who seek him. Why on earth don't we approach God with our every need, with our every thought, with our every whim, and we use this as a pattern for doing so because it brings him glory. Pray simply and directly. Number three, pray humbly. Lest we forget that it is a privilege to address the God of the universe as Father. Jesus urges us to humbly pray, our Father in heaven, you are my Father, you are my Papa, you are my Father, yet and hallowed be your name. To pray hallowed be your name is to say, Father, let your name be honored and admired and esteemed and revered and delighted in and treasured and valued above all else. In my heart, in my home, in my workplace or in my school, throughout my life and throughout your, excuse me, whole world, let your name be regarded as holy and worthy and wonderful. I mean, God is Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. He is the source from which and the subject for whom all things exist and belong and find their purpose. The purpose of the entire universe, Danny Aiken writes, is for the hallowing of God's name. This is why things exist. And this is why Jesus is so right in teaching his disciples and us to begin our prayers in a posture of humility. Church, hear this. The way we begin our prayers is important. Because the way we begin our prayers reveals a lot about who or what we believe God to be. It's all too easy for me and probably most of us to begin praying, 
right into. Here are my needs and my wants and my wants and my needs and they're all mixed up. I actually have a hard time discerning which is which, but I want them all. I know that. And so I'm going to begin on that note. And we do so as if we're speaking to some sort of cosmic Santa Claus. Or he's a genie in a bottle. It's all too easy And I'm the first in line here. It's easy to forget that we are addressing the great, powerful I am, maker of heaven and earth. From him comes thunder and lightning and in his hand rests every drop of the ocean. He is our father who loves us and knows us and supplies our deepest needs. But he, our deepest need, is in fact him who fills all in all as high and lifted up, hallowed, filling all in all and beginning from end. He is our greatest need. Oh, Father, hallowed be your name. Let your name be honored, admired, esteemed, revered, treasured, and valued above all else. Church, oh, when we ask God to do this, he won't not do it. How's that for a double negative? And when he does do this in us, here's another double negative, it can't not have an effect on the way we live and pray. So watch with me, look with me how this first petition just waltzes into the second and third petitions of this first half of the prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name and from it, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we cry out for God's kingdom to come, We petition his rule and reign to hold sway in our hearts. Now, and we also petition for the swift return. We're talking eschatology now. The swift return of King Jesus to come and finish what he began at the cross, an empty tomb, and to come and finish finally and forever this, the vanquishing of death and grief and pain and disaster and war and injustice and abuse and addiction and idolatry and every other sin. Your kingdom come, your rule, your reign, we submit to you. When we cry out for God's kingdom to come, it resubmits to God the things that are very easily unsubmitted to him in our lives. Our jobs, our homes, our relationships, our hobbies, our expenses, the way we budget our time and our checkbooks, the entertainment that we enjoy, the things that we do, activities and pleasures and passions. When we pray your kingdom come, comes with it this Holy Spirit guttural question of, oh my goodness, are all of these things of my life submitted to my God and my King? I submit to you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your 
will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Writer, pastor, Paul Tripp warns us about praying this here, okay? Buckle up. To pray your will be done in heaven or on earth as it is in heaven, that's dangerous, yo. (laughs) That's a dangerous prayer. And it's one that we should absolutely delightfully pray. It means the exaltation of God's will over my own and over yours. It means surrendering the center of my universe to the one who actually deserves to be in the center of the universe. It means doing the same for you. Your will be done. Oh Lord, I'm gonna step aside you are on the throne. You wear the crown. In your hand is the scepter forevermore. You are king. This is the great reversal that reverses and counters the effect of sin ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since the first Adam in the Garden of Eden chose to exalt his will over God's, took of the fruit that was forbidden. We've been in a rhythm of this ever since him. We have all sinfully been exalting our own will over God's. But then um, scripture refers to him as the second Adam or the last Adam. Another Adam came into the picture and he entered a second garden. Jesus Christ, God the Son, and he didn't even put his own will above that of his father's. If this burden, if this chalice of going to the cross to die for sin can pass from me, if if there is another way, oh, I would be open to it. That was Jesus in his humanness crying out. But then what did he pray? And hallelujah, he prayed it. Nevertheless, Father, your will be done. The second and last Adam did what the first Adam failed to do and we've all been caught up in the rhythm of it or the disrhythm or unrhythm or whatever the word would be there. And in Jesus praying so, my goodness, if God the Son prayed your will be done, how much more should his people, his co-heirs, citizens of his kingdom, how much more should we be clamoring to pray the same thing? But listen, God's will is not always easy. That's, that's promised nowhere. And God's will is not always safe. Think of the question that was asked in the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, following the king is not always easy. It's not always safe. But what does Romans 12 too remind us other than this? God's will is always good and pleasing and perfect and on time and glorious. From my limited vantage point, when I enter into prayer, once again, from my limited vantage point and my limited understanding, I'm feeling culture around me. I'm feeling everything else. I have heart and affections and thoughts and all these things. But to go before him and submit and surrender and ask for his will to be done, that, that right there, that is the beginnings of the good godly life that Jesus purchased and promises us. It is not easy. It is not always safe. 
It is very, very, very good. Your will be done. To pray this out today, Lord, your will be done is to say, break my bondage to myself. Help me in my unbelief. Help me in my distrust. And once again, church, we are praying a prayer that God won't not answer. And when we pray this prayer, it can't not have the good, godly effect on us that Jesus desires for us. So we can pray beautifully. We can pray powerfully all by praying simply and directly and humbly. What Jesus is teaching us here, anyone can, virtually anyone can pray this. And we should. And this is really thematic of all things Jesus is that it is unprofoundly profound. It is complexically, is that the word? Simple. And we can pray so with all of the confidence in heaven and on earth because church, we are not orphans, but we have been adopted. Our Father knows our need. He supplies our need. He is our need. So our Father, hallowed be your name indeed. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's part one. Lord willing, if Jesus doesn't return this week, we will come back next Sunday and we'll look at part two. Would you pray with me and then we will sing. Father, thank you that we are yours. Thank you that you long and have done the work to adopt us as your sons and daughters through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. You are high and lifted up. You are fearsome. You are wonderful. You are the great I am. And so we ask, Lord, that you would make your name holy in our hearts. Lord, that we would desire your rule and reign not only to come in our King Jesus, but right now enough that we would surrender and submit our lives to you that we wouldn't operate our lives as we see best because man, that is so prone to wander. And with all the cultural pressures this day, it is hard. But Lord, help us to trust your word that is so clear, so true. Let your kingdom rule and reign come into our hearts that we might obey even when it doesn't always make sense. Lord, we ask that your will would be done with us and among us this day. Not our will, but yours. Not for our glory, but yours. And in the process, when the glory of all glories, you are at the center of our world, our affections, our desires, our plans and thoughts, when you're at the center, oh Lord, it is the good place to be. It is the godly place to be. There are riches at your right hand forevermore. 
depths of joy that we have yet to taste, depths of peace where all our strivings are ceased. Lord, help us to taste that. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Inhabit our praises as we sing to you and be glorified as you well know you are in the business of edifying us when we sing. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen.